Lord, all right. <laughs> I think, right? Amen. It's okay. No worries, guys, because that happens to everybody at least once, it seems. You know. What's that? Well, I see your purse kind of shaking when it happens, so, you know. I'm just protecting another brother. I'm just kidding. You're, yeah. Well, yeah. I, God is good. Amen. Poor Diane. I've been roasting you today. Because <laughs> I love you. If I tease you, it's because I love you. All right. Praise the Lord. It wasn't Diane, though. Just kidding. All right. God is good. Amen. All right. Uh, man. So we have embarked on a series on the fruit of the Spirit, which I'm so excited uh, to get in this series. Yet I feel like Jude, when he was planning on preaching a particular message, and we'll pick this up, Lord willing, the fruit of the Spirit next week. Uh, I woke up early this morning and I was praying and uh, trying to go back to sleep because it was still dark out. And the more I prayed, uh, the more another message kept burning on my heart. And it continued to burn on my heart. And I decided to change up my message. And I'm going to preach a message which is basically the beginning of a series, which I'm not going to do this series in a row. Like in, in the fruit of the Spirit, we'll hit a lot of messages in a row. Every once in a while, we'll do what I'm doing right now, a topical message in between. Change it up a little bit, right? Uh, this one, we'll just do a message here and a message there. It might take the course of a year. A message, I should say, a message here and there throughout the, a year or two. I don't know exactly, or more, I don't know. Uh, but th this is an introductory message to that series. And this will probably be one of my favorite messages in this series because I think you'll be really, really encouraged. And this will be a message you want to share with friends and those you are sharing with uh, who you love, who you want to see who Jesus is and the veracity of the Word of God. The name of this series and the name of this first message is Overwhelming, Overwhelming Evidence for Jesus and the Bible. About time I've done an apologetic message. I use apologetics a lot through my messages, but I'm thinking, man, when's the last time I did a message just on apologetics? We deal with them all the time on our radio show, and I deal with the subject in my message and so forth. We, we have a slant of apologetics. Uh, we have a lot of people think of uh, Blessed Hope, and they think of our ministry as an apologetic ministry or discernment ministry, uh, Bible teaching ministry, so forth. We're prophecy ministry, you know, uh, expose ministry. We've got all kinds of labels because we do all kinds of things. But one of my favorite subjects is apologetics, evidences of Jesus. And uh, what this, this is going to be kind of like a, looking at a lot of subjects quickly because it's going to introduce a lot of things that we'll talk about where we'll actually take on a particular, a particular subject, like, for instance, is Jesus the Messiah? And I'll just touch on that for just a minute or two, a few minutes maybe, you know, and then I'll send, but we'll have a whole message on that, you know, or Israel and prophecy proving God's the God of the Bible, you know, and that the true God is a God of prophecy and the true God is Yahweh of the Bible. Well, we'll just touch on that briefly, but we'll have a whole message on that. We've had a lot of messages on that, so I don't know, maybe I'll just do one message on that. But uh, what now, what we'll do now is just hit a bunch of topics the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. And my prayer has been this morning for you is that your faith will soar. And hopefully it already is, but that your faith will be just like, how could I ever doubt? Because Satan is very real, right? And he knows that we're weak. And he knows that our hearts are bent on self and worship of self and unbelief and not wanting to follow the Lord and not wanting to deny, uh, uh, you know, lustful pleasures and things like that. So he knows the best way to do that is to get us to just deny God's existence. 
Even though the evidence is absolutely <clears throat> overwhelming, whether you look at the cosmological argument, you know, the argument from design, uh, the universe, uh, DNA, how we've got all this written code, you know, uh, millions and millions of miles long if you stretch it out, right, just in your body alone with your 30 trillion cells or so, right, the, the DNA helix, it's just all written coded information with a processor, then the actual information that encodes what you're, and as, you know, Bill Gates said, <laughs> At Microsoft, we have nothing in our nothing that approaches what is going on with DNA, you know, and and of course nobody would say, oh, you know, computer programs they just kind of invented themselves. That'd be just ridiculous. So the evidence of God is just absolutely overwhelming because it takes a mind to write a to, to write a code. It takes a mind to write a language to write it out. It doesn't happen without a mind. But we have the most radical language written in us. We get all the evidence of the Creator and so forth. But this is evidence of Jesus and the Bible. So I'm sure we'll have some, uh, a message or two on the evidences of God. But this is more centered on, guess what? When you see evidence of Jesus and the Bible, all that's evidence of God. Amen. So every message is pretty much evidence of God. So the message's name is Overwhelming Evidence for Jesus and the Bible. And uh, I'm so excited about this message. And I did this literally from the top of my head. I just was praying and seeking the Lord. And then I finally thought, i got to get out of bed. It's cold, it's dark, I'm not sure exactly what time it is right now, but, uh, but you know, I want to give plenty of time for a message, because I work on my messages, sometimes I'll work on a message off and on throughout a year or two or more, just off and on, and sometimes I'll work on days on a message, you know, but when a message gets burned on my heart, and this is something I think about a lot, uh, I, had, I thought, I got to get up too and start writing down all the things I want to talk about in this message before I start forgetting them, you know, because all of a sudden the, the table of contents became, you know, kind of excessive. And uh, so I got up and I just started jotting all these things down on it by hand and then went to my computer. And don't worry, it's only 14 pages of notes I typed out, okay? <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, God's Word states... And I'm not stating this as an evidence, this first point. I'm stating because this would be considered like a circular argument, right? But I'm just stating that what the Bible says about itself is that it's inspired by God and that God used prophets. And over and over again, you have, thus saith the Lord, to prophets throughout the Old and the New Testament and the apostles as well. Yet uh, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that no prophecy ever came by the human will or human invention. But holy men spoke as they were carried along and moved by the Holy Spirit. And then we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 15 and 16, we read about how uh, all Scripture is inspired by God. Okay? Theonoustos is the Greek word. It means God breathed. Theonoustos is breathe, and Theo is God. Theonoustos, God breathed. God breathed the Scripture, we're told. Okay? Uh, and all scripture says inspired by God that the man of God uh, may you know be equipped you know to be you know be taught to, to be encouraged to be instructed in righteousness and so forth. So we have these claims throughout the scripture that that God's given us His Word. And just like you get an appliance, you get something somewhat complicated, you usually get a what manufacturer's handbook. Well, more important than any appliance you could ever get is your very life, right? Your very soul. And God's given us the God Ufactures handbook. He's given us his word. Now, those are arguments that, that I'm not making to say, hey, this is the word of God because, although to me it's an argument, but to me it's not an argument I'd use with an atheist. I'd just say, hey, God claims this, but now, or an agnostic, but I'd say, hey, let's look at those claims. And the claims, by the way, I want to point out something. I could just look at one or two of the evidences that I'm going to bring up, 
And to me, it's overwhelming already. I mean, we'll look at just, we just look at an evidence or two. One line of thinking. And it's like overwhelming, I believe, if you're an honest person. But when you start looking at all the evidences on top of each other, that's why I titled this series Overwhelming Evidence for Jesus and the Bible. And first of all, some will say, well, what about, you know, uh, the Bible manuscripts? I mean, isn't it like the game of telephone and, you know, things just change through the years? And how do we know we got what the, you know, the, the apostles wrote and, you know, their associates? How do we know that, you know, that the scripture, it just, just gets changed, you know? Well, you know, like the telephone game. You ever play a telephone game? Starts off saying one thing, and then all of a sudden, by the time it gets down when you're a little kid in class or whatever, it's totally changed from the original message. Well, that's easy to refute, okay? You know why? Because the Bible has manuscripts. Okay, this is a blow mind. This is a blow mind. Because the Bible is the greatest and the most attested book from antiquity, from ancient history, beyond, by far, in a way, any other manuscripts, okay? The Bible is actually a collection of books. It's 66 books. Or if you count Psalms and you get the divisions the Jews did in the five books, it's 70 books, which is pretty cool. You know, you think of the number 70. But uh, when you look at the Bible, it's not only, its manuscripts are not only earlier, when you put earlier with also more numerous together, they're, they're earlier and more numerous uh, collectively with those two points than any other book in ancient history. In fact, uh, Homer's Iliad's there's hundreds, but guess what? There's thousands of manuscripts of the, just even the New Testament writings. 24,000 ancient manuscripts. Now that's pretty heavy when you think of the fact that a lot of the writings of some of the most, when you look at Plato, you know, and nobody doubts that Plato said certain things, but guess how many manuscripts we have? Six manuscripts of Plato. Guess how many we have of, of you know, Julius Caesar? Very important, you know, early emperor of Rome, right? We have only 10 manuscripts. We have 24,000 of just the New Testament books. Mind-boggling, you know? And this is the trip, too, is like if you look at the, uh, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Virtually all, even critics of the Bible that are Bible scholars, that are critical of the Bible, maybe they're atheists or agnostics, will acknowledge now that all four Gospels were written in the first century, the same century that Jesus died in. Amen? Amen. Guess what? You've heard of Alexander the Great? You don't have his biographies being written until, you know, by Arian, you know, uh, Plutarch wrote biographies until 400 years and later, after him. But do we doubt what? The, do we doubt, you know, his, uh, his history, that he existed and so forth? No. But so that's a, that's a trippy thing. You have this, the, the manuscripts, right, written, proof they're written in the first century, right, uh, because you have evidence from the, those manuscripts in the second, third century and so forth. Ancient history, 24,000 of them, the copies of those manuscripts. That, I think, is incredibly powerful, the manuscript evidence. Another thing we'll talk about now, pre-science, you know, pre-science. And I didn't even know how many pages I had written. I was like, I got done. I'm like, I changed up my message. I'm like, man, I want to be here for worship. Just lift up my hands and praise God. And I'm like, it ain't going to happen today. I'm like, Lord, help me. I go, okay, but I, this, I really felt led, as Lord, to, to preach this message. And then pre-science. I want to talk about pre-science. What's pre-science? Okay. Pre-science is 
uh, is basically the idea of science that was before the modern age of you know, so-called science, you know? Which, by the way, all the top scientists, the early scientists, you know who's, who, who invented what's called science today? When you look at Kepler, you look at the ancient scientists that got it started, it was Christians, by the way, because Christians looked at things rational. They looked at things as being created by God. Therefore, they felt there was meaning behind them and things could be discovered. And that's a whole other thing to get into. But it's really interesting that before all these modern scientific discoveries about the universe and so forth, and we know infinitesimally small amount about it, you know, these scientists that are like, oh, man, these guys, you know, great scientists because, you know, a lot of times they'll say gibberish like, oh, well, every thing came out of nothing, you know, and they know that's just rubbish, you know, but they, those are the guys that don't want to acknowledge a God, right? But what's amazing is pre-science is things stated in the Bible before these discoveries were made and understood that are just adamantly clear in Scripture. You don't have all these weird, strange things said in the Bible that you see in all these other religions about, you know, uh, uh, the creation and so forth. But you have all these incredible, mind-boggling things uh, that are pre-science that show you that this book is inspired by a supernatural, amen, God that's outside of the time-space, uh, time, you know, matter-space continuum. In fact, by the way, let's just talk about matter, time, and space. That seems obvious. Okay, yeah, they exist. Well, the Bible says they exist. The Bible, but the Bible says they came into existence in the beginning. Beginning is what? Time, right? God created the what? Heavens and the earth. That's space and matter, right? The earth, matter, right? Space, you have space. When, as soon as, as, soon as uh, matter is uh, created, it has to have space, right? To have a place to exist, right? So you have matter and space created in the beginning. So you have time, space, and matter all created. But did you know what the overwhelming consensus of scientists was up until the time of Einstein? Not that Einstein was a discoverer of this. He realized it's a long story. I don't have time to get into it. But uh, they believed in what's called the steady state theory. A lot of these guys don't want to believe in God. And that's the thing, you give overwhelming evidence of God, of Jesus, the Bible, and there'll be people, it doesn't matter how much evidence you get, give them, they are bent on not wanting to submit and bow the knee to God. So they won't submit to the evidence. I say that based on what the scriptures say in Romans chapter 1. It says of the atheist, it says in, 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 the, in the Old Testament that the atheist says there's no God. And it says he does so so he could do his abominations. It actually says the fool says in his heart there's no God. And in Romans 1, it says, even though God's made himself known through the things he's made, it's become very clear and obvious. He says that people suppress the knowledge of the truth, right? And I always use the jack-in-the-box, you know, the kid holding Jack down because he doesn't want to see him pop up. That's what people do with God. They suppress. It means literally in the Greek to hold down. They hold down the evidence because they don't want to follow God, and he gives them over to a reprobate mind, and they're given in all kinds of sexual perversion, it says, and everything else. Well, guess what? Scientists are the same way. Don't think that these guys, because they have some code on or something, or had you know, a, a few years extra of, 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 of college study under, you know, oftentimes, you know, a lot of these guys, it says they profess themselves to be wise, but became fools, okay? They still have sinful hearts, right? So a lot of them were saying, oh, no, there's no God. I mean, everything, that matter, space, time, it's always existed. It's always existed. It's always been here. Guess what? Problem with that. Then they began to discover the universe was expanding, right? Which, by the way, the Bible said, pre-science, 
that God stretches out the universe. Isn't that interesting? Like a garment, you know? And it says that wears out like a garment. By the way, they found out the law of psychothermodynamics, entropy, that everything's wearing down, right? I'm getting into stuff I didn't want to get into. But I want to get into this. Time, space, and matter. They began to realize that since everything's expanded, it had a beginning point. And now virtually almost all scientists agree that time, space, and matter all had, all three had a beginning. And, well, guess what? You get down to the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Okay. We already knew that. And then when NASA and others discovered that, that's a big deal. When they, you know, praise God, people, they couldn't deny it any longer, guys. Because when the, with the advent of the Hubble telescope, they were able to discern, wow, this whole universe is expanding, meaning it couldn't have been expanding for eternity. That would be long. You know, it would be ridiculous. It's had, it had a beginning point. This inspired Robert Jastrow. Robert Jastrow, he's the uh, astrophysicist who headed up, who was ahead of NASA. NASA's uh, Goddard Space Flight Center for many years. A highly esteemed. Listen to what he wrote. A sound explanation may exist for the explosive birth of our universe, but it does. Uh, but if it does, science cannot find out what the explanation is. The scientist's pursuit of the last uh, or of the past ends in a moment of creation. He admits this is an exceedingly strange development, unexpected by all our th- all but the theologians. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Can we give Robert an amen? Amen. Amen. They have always accepted the word of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. At this moment, he also says, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain of the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. But as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Isn't that the coolest quote? Outside the Bible, anyway. It's one of the, one of the coolest quotes. And, you know, the Bible says all kinds of incredible things. It says that it was, you know, it's circular and it hangs upon nothing in space, you know. In fact, in Isaiah 40, 22, it says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, right? In Job 26, 7, it says, he hangs the earth on nothing. Now, this is amazing. Really amazing. Because other religions, you know what they were teaching? You know what the Hindu scriptures teach? They teach that the earth is sitting on four elephants, the back of four elephants. And the back and the, and the elephants are standing on sea turtle, a big sea turtle. And the sea turtle is swimming in a, in a sea of milk. Do you believe that? Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. But you don't read anything like that in the Bible, you know? You read it circular and it's suspended upon nothing. And they couldn't know that, but God's word reveals that. This is pre-science. Uh, but I want to talk to you not about just, you know, pre-science in the context of the larger, you know, the popular sciences. I also want to talk to you for a few minutes about another line of science that just blows me away. And this is what, I, what we call biomedical pre-science. Biomedical pre-science. This is science in regard to biology where God has commanded his people to do certain things to protect them without them having any biological knowledge of germs and diseases and how to stay away from them because of germs and diseases other than what God's given them. And they have to take by faith what he says. And 
if you were a Jew and you were told, and guess what? A lot of people starve, right, in the ancient world, right? In the ancient Near Eastern communities, man, there were people starving, famines, everything else. And there was, a, there was a plenty of food at times, but times, sometimes when it became scarce, you know, there were rodents that you would eat, there were pigs that you would eat, right? There were certain animals that you would eat, so you wouldn't starve, but guess what? God made a lot of these animals off-limits. He made them off-limits to the Jews. Why? Because they didn't understand germs, and the Jews were known for, now, right now, you can look up sanitation. You just look up sanitation laws and the Jews, and you'll see they were way ahead of their time. It's not because they had microscopes and were discovering these things. It's because they were serving the one true God. And God said to them, he's giving them laws, he says, to keep them from the diseases of the nations, or like from Egypt. Because the Egyptians, if they got like, their, their medical practices, if they got like a, a pussy sore, you know, you know, just, you know, they have laws like crush up a donkey tooth and mix it with excrement and put it in your sore, you know. Not a good idea, okay. They had all kinds of laws that were just ridiculous. Well, guess what? God's biomedical laws, <laughs> uh, pre-science, before people understood uh, the importance of these things, are just mind-blowing. Uh, and I've, I've done a whole study one or two parts on this before, but and we'll get into it because it's been years since I've taught on this. But you had Igor Semmelweis, and if you've been in biology, you've had biology uh, in, at the college level, you've studied him a little bit because in the uh, 19th century, in the 1800s, and I don't have time to get into his story, but he was lampooned uh, because he was because he developed, he started making his doctors on his ward wash their hands and in lie uh, before they delivered babies because he noticed that uh, there was a severe disease. The mortality rate was just plummeted where all these little babies are dying because their disease was being communicated, but they didn't understand how diseases communicate. They didn't understand germs. You know, the micron mel- uh, uh, microscope was just going to be created a little bit after that. And, but he noticed that a doctor friend, because they would treat someone who had this deadly disease, Right? And I'm not going to go into the details, but they take that, then that guy would deliver babies and transmit that disease to a baby. And the baby would just die. But they didn't understand the communication of, you know, sanitation and blood and washing your hands really good. But he noticed a good doctor friend of his had got cut. And after he uh, uh, delivered a baby, that baby died, but that doctor died. He thought, what if there's a connection? Huh, interesting. That wasn't understood, guys, until the 1800s. And then he made, and guess what? When he made that rule that you have to wash your hands and lie, the mortality rate just reversed. All kinds of babies were living. They got tired of that doctor, by the way, some ways. They kicked him out. And then uh, the mortality rate, you know, rose again. And then he went to another hospital, saw the same fever there, and he enacted the same rules. And guess what? All these babies were living. But they got tired of washing their hands because there's no scientific explanation. They kicked him out. He actually went into a, he was actually put in, a, in prison and so forth, in an in a insane asylum, actually, and he died of that same disease. There's a movie begging to be written about this guy, okay? I don't know if there is one, but that's, I mean, a full-blown dramatic movie. That would be pretty powerful. But this is the trip, guys. Long before that, 3,500 years ago, not just a couple hundred years ago, right? 3,500 years ago, God, through Moses, gave rules, laws, he told them not to touch dead people even. Not just who they're bleeding, just don't touch them. Don't touch dead animals. When you go to the bathroom, 
go outside the camp and bury it. That was like, that's the big deal. Sometimes you, it's a bummer just to get up in the morning and go to use the bathroom, right? I got to get up and go to the bathroom. Can you imagine? I got to go outside the camp. He's doing this so it'll keep them from various diseases, you know? He's saying, don't eat pigs, right? Pigs, they, they hang out in their own feces at times, right? Uh, I was talking to uh, Cynthia, or the Fowler family over in uh, Idaho, and she was saying, yeah, we just, you know, we had a pig, but she said, they're just disgusting, though. You know, they kind of hang out in their own feces in the mud and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm not saying if you have a pet pig, praise the Lord, you know. I think the pig, you probably got a really good pig. Make some good bacon later for you, you know. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. If he's just your friend, that's beautiful, you know. But, in, but guess what? You, you, you know, there's a lot of diseases associated with pigs and so forth, not just, you know, uh, also trichinosis and so forth. You don't cook it enough, all that. But anyway, it's interesting. He's keeping them from these diseases. And he tells them to stay away from these animals. He tells them to stay away from certain creatures, right, with just paws, with, you know, that didn't split at the hoof and so forth. That would be animals like rodents and animals that eat rodents that would get their sicknesses and their diseases, right? To certain birds to stay away from. They happen to be the birds that catch rodents and get the same diseases. Isn't that a trip? It just blows me away, you know? And then he said, if you have a piece of pottery and a dead person touches it, because they could be diseased, right? Take that piece of pottery. You got one or two options. If the pottery is porous, break it and destroy it. Get rid of it. If it's not porous, disinfect it. He doesn't say disinfect it, but he says, put it in the sunlight for a while. Then have it rinsed in water. What's going on there? It's pretty easy. Because a non-porous pot could be disinfected through sunlight, right, and water. But a porous pot can absorb those, what? Sickness, those, that bacteria, right? And he says, just break it. So they're like, break, what you? So the heathen are like, why are they breaking that good pot? You know? Guys, they were, the Levitical priests were like health inspectors. They go to your house, and if you had mold growing, you know what they do? They cut out like a square. They cut the mold out. Then they'd go back, and if the mold had still spread, guess what they do to your house? Get out of it. They tear it down. They condemn it. <laughs> Praise the Lord God. Amen. Just this line of reasoning shows you divine agency behind this book. Amen. Whether it's pre-science on the larger level of the sciences, or it's the biomedical pre-science, it's mind-boggling. Amen? We have an awesome God that loves us, that's given us his word, that's proven himself over and over again. And to me, you have to not want to... Come on, how can you look at these things and just say, a lot of people might be like this, I just got to explain it away. How can I get around this, man? That's not the heart we should have, amen? The heart we should have is like, wow, God, you are amazing. Only you could do this. Amen? So the evidence is indeed overwhelming. And I'm just scratching the surface. We'll have a whole message. Would it be cool to have a whole message on biomedical prescience? You know, that's the kind of thing we're going to be getting into in this series. I'm going to be juggling series and so forth. But like I said, we're going to focus more on the fruit of the Spirit. But I'll do this once in a while. Uh, but I'm just touching, uh, you know, the, the, touching the evidence right now. And, and a lot of these lines of evidence aren't used in apologetics, by the way. I think they should be used more. A lot of things I'm talking about, you won't see a lot of times in apologetics. To me, it's like, guys, why aren't we using these things more? The common man resonates with this, right? The person that has a scientific mind as far as like, likes to look at evidence, man, follow the evidence. You know, another line of evidence that I don't think is used enough in apologetics, which I think is a powerful evidence, is the evidence of an evil spiritual world. 
okay? And the intent that we can see of that evil spiritual world. And I say this because this was one of the greatest evidences that brought me to Christ. Because before I was a Christian, I was very, very anti-Christ. I was anti-God. I was a teenager. I was just so lost, but I wanted nothing to do with God and, uh, and, and his morality. So I thought, oh, man, that whole thing. The irony is the whole idea of Satan, you know, I, mean, I grew up in the era where it was just after, you know, like Flip Wilson, and he had the, he'd say, the devil made me do it. And he'd have the caricature of the devil with a pitchfork and a red tail and spandex, you know, which Satan loves that stuff because it makes people think he's just a cartoon character. It's been said his greatest deception is to make people think he doesn't exist. Well, guess what? I was one of those foolish guys that just, oh, yeah, well, yeah, the devil. So I got, so if I get rid of the devil, then I get rid of the Christian God, amen? Now, I was smart enough to realize there's something bigger than me. Obviously, something did, I mean, there's something bigger than what I'm seeing out here, but I was foolish enough to deny the one true God because I want to be my own God. But you know what? Through getting into uh, uh, mind science stuff, you know, new agey type stuff, and trying to program my subconscious mind through a book called Psycho-Cybernetics by, and another book by, uh, called The Subconscious, Power of the Subconscious Mind, one by Maxwell Maltz, one by Joseph Murphy. I saw these books were laying around my house. They're still in my library because I marked them up afterwards after I became a Christian and, uh, or kept them. And they were just lying around my mouth. I asked my mom, who bought those books? They were just, you know, she goes, I don't even know. I just started visualizing self, self-talk, trying to manifest your own reality. You heard about manifesting? It's a really good video uh, that we have that uh, Chad put that one together mostly and interviewed myself and Doreen Virtue and shows a lot of clips you've got to see on the manifestation, the true manifestation of evil. It's got over 100,000 views, but it shows this occult practice, and that's what I was doing before I was a Christian. Very popular now in Hollywood. Some sports stars, it's all over. People are trying to manifest reality by visualizing. Guess what? It works, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work by, oh, well, the the thoughts, you know, just kind of reconfigure the molecular world, and you create real reality through your thoughts. No, that's not how it happens. It happens. The books didn't really tell you how it actually worked scientifically, even though one of the books, The Power of Subconscious Mind, had like brain matter on the front. It had nothing to do with real science. I was opening myself up to the demonic world, which I laughed at, didn't believe it existed. And I'm visualizing my success to the point where I'm literally channeling all kinds of lyrics that are way beyond even my intellect right now as an older gentleman, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old, I'm writing this stuff that I could not write now if, I, if it gave me days to write, Okay. And some of you heard some of those lyrics. And, uh, but a lot of those lyrics were glorifying Satan. Treacherous meadows touched by the devil, burdened with calamity and subdued by disease and just, just glorifying Satan. I'm like, why is my subconscious mind glorifying the devil? I don't believe in him. Well, I don't know what I would have been, but I was being getting all kinds of music and all kinds of lyrics, you know. And guess what? I thought, man, I'm writing all this satanic stuff, you know. But it's just my subconscious must be tapping in to what's going to be popular in the 1980s. It was 1978, 1979. Or 1979, 1980. And boom, the whole heavy metal era. Those kinds of lyrics just <laughs> exploded in the 80s. You know? And I looked like a heavy metaler and everything before the heavy metalers were the heavy metalers. And I would have been in, 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 in 1981, I was like, you know, 18 years old. You know? That's when I became a Christian. But you know what? What happened is I'm having all these manifestations, but I'm having my covers pulled down. I'm like turning sideways in my bed. You know, I'm, I'm being pulled down the bed, not like two hands, but just like a force. Shh. And I'm like, why am I having all these? Ex- I, one time I just shh, totally sideways in my bed. I didn't want to open my eyes. You know, I was like, what in the world, man? And I'm this, you know, big, tough guy, you know, got a lot of fights, you know. 
I'm afraid to open my eyes. What was that? <laughs> you know? And at 2, 3 in the morning when I wake up, boom, I'm like, so, totally sideways in my waterbed. Never woke up sideways in my bed ever. Didn't go to bed drunk or anything. Just, I was like, okay, why is my subconscious mind doing this? In the midst of one of my experiences in my bed, I went to roll out of my bed. And as I'm rolling out, it wasn't my subconscious because as clear as I'm talking right now was, hold on, hold on. It wasn't spooky like, hold on. <laughs> you know, it was just, hold on. Not even that emotional. Hold on, hold on. Almost like I was an experiment, you know. And, I'm, and I, didn't, I just kept rolling. I went and looked in the mirror. I said, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Get away from me. <clears throat> holding my hair up. You can see this day, it was such a traumatic experience that I was crying. It's not coming out of my nose. I'm rubbing my nose my eyes. I'm holding my head and my long hairs, long blonde hairs sticking out like this. And I knew I'd open myself up. Now, I, I, the gig was up. I was like, this ain't my subconscious. There's disembodied spirits I'm in touch with. Now I was in a real dilemma. Why are disembodied spirits giving me all this stuff against God? Why are thou glorifying the devil? I was trying to you know, excuse, make an excuse and say, oh, well, it's just my subconscious mind. Now I realize I'm in touch with spirits that hate Jesus, that hate God, that are glorifying Satan. I mean, the very first song I wrote, and I gave it to a, a drummer friend of mine, because we were going to form a band together named Mike Johnson. Uh, love him. Still, he became a Christian later, too. A lot of people became Christians after this, because after I came out of what I came out and came to Jesus, I started witnessing my family. You know, all my family members became Christians, and my closest friends, Steve Riley, Dave Nelson, Mike Johnson. But when I came out of it, I was like, when I wrote this song, and I gave Mike the, uh, the, the, the song, and he put the finishing touches on it, changed some things up, made it sound even better. But it was called My Family or My Soul. I was falling forever deeper into the hole. I couldn't be free. The devil was grasping my soul. I could hear my mother sis, uh, screaming, my sisters dreaming, my father dying, and my brother crying. It's actually worded a little bit differently than that because I just finally found it after all these years. Showed it to Lisa from my old typewriter, you know. Uh, and, and, and then I'm just going through this sense of torment. I was falling forever deep in the hole. I couldn't be freed. The devil was grasping my soul. And at the final bottom, there I lie to say goodbye. And so I wonder, maybe so. And so I left with my soul and began to rock and roll. And one guy goes, that's a sick lyric, man. That's right before your lead comes in. You just got, you know, all this, you, know, you get all this power from Satan and boom. It was a, but, you know, I realized, man, I'm opening myself up to the devil. And this is real. In the midst of one, because I was constantly going straight through a state of paralysis, you know. Anybody hear Billie Eilish? Come on. Anybody hear Billie Eilish? Okay. I mean, she's right up there with Taylor Swift, just probably just behind her as far as one of the most popular female artists last five years, right? And, uh, but guess what? I'd go through these states of paralysis. It's called demon in the room, I found out later, right? And I'd be go, have a humming sound going through my mind. And, I, I'd, and uh, that would be a staple when I first started meditating. I would go through that, this humming sound, just continually going. And I knew I was being called from this other side because it started happening when I started meditating and I started having all these experiences and channeling all these lyrics. And I'd, two, three in the morning, I'd hear music in my dreams just Music I'd never heard is powerful, loud, metal-type music, right? And more, more loud and drumming than anything. And I was, I was a guitarist, you know? So I'm like, why the drumming, you know? But it was just hard, like heavy metal. And you know what's a trip is when I go through those states, then after I was like thinking about what is all this about, I cried out to God. And it's a long story. I don't give you all the details, but I cried out to God, and boom, he freed me from my experience, Okay? And by the grace of God, and I share this because the Lord's used this to bring thousands of people to Christ, you know. You watch our video, you watch They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, tied to my testimony. It's a powerful witness, and I know a lot of you haven't heard my testimony, uh, and a lot of you are new in, on, our, in our live stream audience, but uh, that's how I ended up coming to Christ, because I realized God was real. My, I didn't think, I didn't think about Buddha. I didn't think about Muhammad. 
It was antichrist. I'm like, I'm in touch with forces that are antichrist. And I cried out to the Lord in the midst of being prayer. I couldn't even move my mouth or open, you know, even whisper. But in my heart, I said, you know, I cried out to like, only if this is good, only goodness, boom, it stopped. A week or so later, same thing happened. I cried out again more directly. Then it stopped immediately again. Both times it stopped immediately. I'm like, okay, this is not a coincidence. I got on my knees and said, God, I'm so sorry. Have mercy on me, you know. And, and so twice I saw that he's more powerful than those satanic forces. Both times those experiences stopped right when I cried out to him. And he had no, just pure justice. He could have just left me to it or just destroyed me right there. But it showed me that there's not only a God that's more powerful than Satan, but it shows me that he's good. Amen? And it's like, this is what's crazy about this is my whole life changed. And I began to lead my family members and my friends to Christ one by one. It wasn't overnight. It took two or three years to lead each of them to Christ. It wasn't until later that my whole family ultimately led my dad to Christ, not long before he died in his 90s. But immediately everybody came, almost immediately. It wasn't immediate, but almost compared to when my dad came, like over the course of a few years, you know, after I came to Christ, four or five years maybe. But the crazy thing is this, guys. I saw evidence up close. Now you could say, well, that's your own personal experience. Yeah, it is. But guess what? I was able to uncover all kinds of overwhelming evidence if you wake up and smell the coffee that's undeniable that there are satanic forces using the most, some of the most popular, most influential people on the planet. Amen? Because right away, man, I started looking at, you know, okay, who's the biggest ever? You know? I grew up, as a, and as a little kid, I was listening to, like, I'd go into my sister Kathy's bedroom, and I listened to her, like, Beatle albums, you know, come together. I was drawn in by certain songs by the Beatles. I knew they were so big, but I was more drawn to, like, bands like Zeppelin and stuff, uh, when I really got in my own I lost identity in my you know, mid-teens or what have you. And you know what's interesting is, I, I said, okay, let me look at the Beatles. Wow, John Lennon. He says, he gets, when he writes songs, it's like being possessed, you know, like being a medium. And he says, I'm like a hollow temple. One spirit comes in, then it leaves, and another comes in. Oh, that's what I'm reading the Bible, because now I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, hmm. Oh, and he says he made a pact with the devil. Interesting. Hmm. Mick Jagger. The second biggest band of all time uh, in, the, in the 60s, that, that is. Ooh, he's sympathy for the devil. And, and you know, and uh, their lead guitarist, you know, says, well, yeah, it's like we're at a seance. It's like put our finger in there and all the songs just come through us. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, right? Jim Morrison, the biggest American artist of the 60s, you know, he was a street guy. He was a bum living on the beach on the top of a building. A street guy you see walking by. But he had these visions, and he wrote about it in his Poetry called Wilderness, where he said he got in touch with Satan, the spirit of music. He says those first four or five songs, he says, I was just watching a concert that was all being given to him, you know? And I just go from the 60s, and I go march all the way through the 70s, all the way to, we've updated it over and over again. I'm doing an update, by the way, and they sold their souls for rock and roll. It's hoping to be out this year. But we're always updating it in, on the uh, internet, you know? But you just, you know, fast forward. Somebody goes, Joe, you've covered all these big bands from the past, but you don't cover Aerosmith. They were the, which is the biggest... American bands ever. What about Aerosmith? And, and I, you know what? I said, you know, I really didn't look into Aerosmith so much because they weren't quite as big as like Zeppelin. And by the way, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin said, big names aren't made today through Ready, Steady, Go, but through practicing the magic of who? Satan and Celeste Crowley. Okay. And, uh, and by the way, one of their songs, How's the Holy? Is your, uh, is your head spinning faster? Are you dizzy when you're stoned? Let the music be your master, Satan and man. 
Okay? Satan's guided the course of this world. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And Ephesians 2.2 says that Satan is a prince of the power of the air who guides the course of this world as he works through the children of disobedience. That's why I encourage you, I love you, but I encourage you, watch what kind of music you're listening to. Wouldn't you rather have music that is singing God's word and is inspired by the Holy Spirit? Amen. Instead of these guys that many times admit being used by demonic entities in, in the spirit world. So I just trace that. And by the way, I mentioned Aerosmith because you know what? I've got Steven Tyler's uh, biography. Uh, it came out a few years back, the leader of Aerosmith. And I'm reading, and I'm reading before I got his biography because I was reading part of his biography online. And he goes, yeah, I, we were not very big. I was thinking of quitting the band and everything. So I started practicing Lester Crowley's magic. And in the midst of, I'm not even going to tell you, it's sex magic. I'm not even getting into details because it's pretty gross. And he goes, in the midst of that experience, we went like this, and they go, we had this great experience, and you know, I said this prayer, and in Crowleyism, it's basically Satanism, right? He said, and then the rest is history. Then Aerosmith just took off. Oh, there it is. No surprise. Is this a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence, guys. Dream on, walk this way, all these riffs being given to Joe Perry, the guitarist, and, and they're just pfft, huge, you know? The lead guitarist of Queen. Oh, by the way, Queen. Beelzebub has a devil set aside for me, right? I mean, you just go on and on. But the lead guitarist was with Tony Iommi, the lead guitarist of, uh, of Black Sabbath. And he says, we've always felt like we've had Black Sabbath. We've always had a fifth mystical member, you know? And we show and they sold their souls. Watch, they sold their souls for rock and roll. All the evidence is there, more than you need. If you really love truth, you can see this is not a coincidence that one artist after another, we're talking about the biggest artists, over and over again, so many of them talk about being inspired by spirits, demons. And they said, I mean, you know, uh, Black Sabbath is about the first encounter of having a demon uh, at Geezer Butler's bedside after, after uh, uh, Osborne brought a, uh, a magic book in. Uh, when they were in a book on magic, I don't know if it was one by Crowley or not. Ozzy talks about how he uses Crowley's book. He has a song called Mr. Crowley, right? So on and on and on, this just goes. And then he says, yeah, all the songs just came to us at once, you know, when we were in the recording studio. And, just, we, we, and then all these songs just come. Yeah, I know. I've been there. It was easy for me to find that evidence because I knew exactly what I'd find. I shouldn't say that. It was way beyond what I thought I would find. But I thought I'd find some things. I knew a lot of things I would look for. In fact, Stairway to Heaven, the most popular song of all time. If your head is humming, remember my humming experience? I'd be paralyzed in this humming sound. If your head is humming, the song says, it's not, it won't go in case you don't know. The piper is calling you to join him. <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on. You know. Well, what about the modern music right now? Mm, yeah, like uh, Jay-Z, the biggest rapper, most successful rapper of all time, wearing a hoodie that says, Do what thou wilt from Crowley, saying that he's like Frank Sinatra and he gets possessed by a spirit, then he gets possessed by another spirit, and writing songs like Lucifer, Son of the Morning, where he says Lucifer had a righteous cause, you know? Where he says he doesn't even understand some of the lyrics he writes. They just come out of him. Oh, and his wife, Beyonce, the queen of pop, you know, saying she gets possessed by Sasha Fierce, a spirit entity, and she can't even, couldn't even sing like that until Sasha possessed her body. And she uses a big old Baphomet ring and is the wife of Jay-Z. Well, what about Taylor Swift? You know what? I have to be honest because I, I don't spend my time. People must think, man, you must study music incredibly. I try not to. I do what I need to to expose it. But I'm like, man, I wouldn't even know a Taylor Swift song if you played it before me. And I'm like, I need to just type in Taylor Swift's most popular songs. And I just looked at the first two on, the pop, on whoever's listed their most popular or best songs. And the first two, they were both promiscuous about her having sex with a guy, just have sex with a guy. Maybe it'll turn out, maybe it won't. But you're going to remember kind of thing. 
you know? And I'm, I looked at the next one. I'm like, same thing. I'm like, how are Christian girls listening to stuff about jumping to bed with a bunch of different guys? I love you, my Christian sisters. But does God want you meditating on those things, yes or no? Can everybody say no and not just the brothers? Yes or no? No. Brothers, does God want you listening to songs about getting drunk and partying? And No. Well, I only heard the sister over there say no. <laughs> no, he doesn't, you know? He doesn't want to. Godly, the Bible says godless talk or godless chatter will lead to more ungodliness. The Bible warns about listening to the songs of fools, and fools are those who don't submit to God. I want to encourage you to go further with the Lord and deepen your relationship with him. I mean, if you make decisions, you say, hey, I need to be separate from this darkness that's in the world. And you, and you draw a line, because the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and I'll receive you. You'll be my child, and I'll be your father. When you separate yourself from the darkness, well, what if it's really, really hard to tell? I don't like really, really hard to tell. I like what I know is good, okay, personally. But some things aren't really hard to tell. It's just promiscuous, promiscuous, or it's just glorifying evil. Bible says sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, amen? So I want to encourage you in the name of Jesus to take your life because a lot of you are wondering why you're struggling with sin still. A lot of times because garbage in, garbage out. Jesus says the evil man takes from the evil in his heart and brings it out. The good man takes from the good stored up in his heart and brings it out. You need to store up, you need to think on these things, whatever sort of things are true, right? Excellent, praiseworthy, lovely. The Bible says think on these things. But if we're filling our, our lives with physical junk food all the time. We are what we eat. Same is true spiritually. If you come here message Sunday and then you get convicted and then you get up and start to leave like this guy over here, you know. Uh, just kidding, Mark. Mark's one of our deacons, you know, and he's going to get ready for the offering, which is going to be, or not the offering, the communion, which is going to be in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, but uh, now everybody's like nervous. I had to pee. I'm not dare going to get up now, you know. That's one reason I do that. Wait till the service is over. Don't drink too much coffee first. Don't cause confusion. No, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. But it's important that we understand that God wants, he loves us. He wants to be separate. I speak the truth. It's not always popular. But Jesus says, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. I'm not into a popularity contest. We have a ton of people that follow our ministry. We have a ton of people that don't because, of, because we speak about certain doctrines that offend them. We tell them they have to continue in the faith and so forth. We can really broaden our audience easily, but we don't seek to do that. We seek to speak God's truth. Amen? Because God wants us to hear the truth and respond to it, and he's in, he wants those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. Amen? That's who he wants. So I encourage you, you could be struggling your walk because you're not making a distinction between that which is good and evil in your life. And God condemned the priests in the Old Testament because they did not make a distinction between that which is holy and profane. And anyway... When I started going through this and I started looking at all these artists, I'm like, what? And by the way, we have a whole video, half hour long or so, about Taylor Swift and witchcraft. There it is again with her. Over and over. Anybody see that? Raise your hand if you saw our video on that. Okay, you guys, we get so much response. Millions of people watch our videos. Yet, I, how many hands? Raise your hand if you saw that. That's, you know, 7% of the group. You should all be equipped. You know, I'm not saying you all need to know about Taylor Swift's witchcraft, you know. I'm really upset with her since, you know, the Chiefs just beat my Dolphins yesterday, so I'm going to go off on her. No, I'm just kidding, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm teasing. But uh, I pray for her. I pray for these artists, you know. God, bring them. But you know what? 
She always had that kind of, somebody told me when they saw the, after they saw the video, she goes, I always saw that Sabrina or that bewitched look in her eyes, they felt. Yeah, I go, well, this is, I thought, yeah, well, that's a trip. It's kind of thing. I, I saw that she seemed kind of witchy to me too, but guess what? Now we got the goods. You don't get go by looks and judge by the outward appearance, right? But you judge by what the Word of God says. And over and over and over again, she promotes witchcraft to young people and encourages, I, I, we show it over, I give all these different quotes. And uh, just check that out because does God, she's, I believe a lot of these folks are mediums and God warns believers not to what? Be influenced by mediums right. over and over again. It's important stuff, guys. So, uh, but there is a spiritual world. I mean, come on, guys. I, we did two videos. I'm almost done with Stan Lee, the face behind Marvel. We're almost done with him. Okay, we got a little ways to go, but I just laid down what is the last main voiceover for that video. But the top three, there's 100 different writers that Comic Book Review, which is the top comic book site online. And keep in mind, Marvel Cinema is the biggest movie genre, the most successful movie genre ever now. The top, in the top 10 Marvel movies have made more than all the other ones, Star Wars, historically, collectively together. Marvel. But I show where... Not, not just Stan Lee, but the top two guys that are voted on Comic Book Review as the top writers by the fans. The top three are Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, and Stan Lee. I show where all three of these guys have promoted Satanist Aleister Crowley. I show where Alan Moore, number one, and, and Grant Morrison, number two, both practiced Crowley's magic. Both feel they were inspired from the spirit world as a result of practicing his magic. And guess what? They're writing the stories that influence so many young people. And many of these stories are Gnostic and they're inversions of who God is. Brothers and sisters, this is serious stuff because this is stuff that millions of people are being indoctrinated by through mass media. And, and don't shoot me the messenger. I'm just saying, hey, isn't it very interesting? And you know what? I didn't realize what I'd find with Marvel, but I thought I knew this is having a great impact because the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I look at these guys and I'm like, wow, it's the same thing that's happening in music. But why does Satan not want us to talk about these things? Oh, don't know. Because it uncovers the reality that he's trying to influence us, amen? And I'm not saying there's a, a demon behind every comic character, right? I'm not condemning you if you watch one of uh, something from Marvel or DC. You know, I personally don't feel comfortable doing that, okay? Because I'm not saying there's a, 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 something behind every character, but I am saying, look at it, man. Watch, check out the videos we've done. You, we show Alan Moore saying, you know, that, and talk, we show his quotes and we show him talking as well about, you know, how he's promoting a propaganda, and he uses art as propaganda, and he's into Crowley. He has a lair under his house where he contacts these spirits. He says these demons, he even calls them demons. He goes, as long as you treat them right, it's okay. They, they won't harm you, you know? And I show Grant Morrison, the number two guy, where he says, you know, he talks about, yeah, some of these demons are very evil. You know, it can be very, come with a, he says, a lot of dark energy. You gotta be careful. These are the top guys. And where his friend, good friend of his, Metzger, uh, presenter for in British television for years, where he says, you know what? Uh, he says, huh, uh, yeah, Grant fires these candy-coated bullets at kids' heads, and when it gets in their heads, they get nice and effed up, okay? I'm telling you guys right now, this is serious stuff. Well, I came to visit your church. I had no idea we were talking about all this stuff. God loves you. He wants you to know the truth, the real truth, the big truth. Amen. All this stuff. So you guys, how could, if you're a skeptic and you start looking at the spiritual world, I can't tell you how many people became Christians with, you watch our stuff saying, wow, now I know there's a spiritual world. Now I know there's a Satan. There must be a God. Now I know oh, God's revealed this in his word. Oh, I need God. And they turn to Jesus. Amen. 
So I use this to, to win lost people to Christ, but also I use this stuff to encourage believers to be sanctified and watch out what you're allowing to influence you. Amen? So the spirit world is a powerful evidence of, of the fact that the Bible, God's, God's word is true because it explains where it originated from, how Satan fell, how he'll be judged, why God allows him to exist because we're being tested and tempted to see who will side with God versus who will side with Satan in preparation for the judgment of the great day. And God has it all ultimately in control. But you have to choose this day whom you will serve. Amen? <sighs> Praise God. All right. Uh, let's look at the... I'll only talk about this for a minute because I'll just, this next point, the existence of Israel. Just the existence of Israel. We could just use this line of thought alone to give incredibly persuasive evidence that there is a God because this is a, God took one guy, Abraham, and he says he was going to make him a mighty nation, right? Filled with millions and millions of people, right? Did he do that? Yes. He said he'd give them the promised land, right? We had the Perizzites, you had the Jubasites, you had the, you know, all the ites, right? And he's going to boot them out, give them the land. He did. Amen. He said they become a powerful nation. They did, especially through the expansion of the kingdom of Israel through King David and Solomon. But he says that they would reject their Messiah. Isaiah 53, in the Old Testament, they would reject Jesus. They reject the Messiah. Psalm 22, they reject Messiah. Daniel chapter 9, they would reject Messiah. Psalm 118, they would reject the Messiah, the chief cornerstone. And that happened. And then he said they'd be scattered throughout the entire world, throughout all these different nations. Did that happen? 70 AD, man, 68 through 70, scattered, then later, more even under Bar Kopa's rebellion in 132, they were scattered even more in the second century. 70 different nations. Then he said in the latter days, he'd bring them back into the land. Did he do that? Yeah. He says they'd restore the language of Hebrew to them. Did he do that? Yeah. They weren't typically speaking Hebrew anymore, speaking Yiddish and everything else. Ben Yehuda. God used Ben Yehuda to, in, his, in his providence to bring the language of, of Hebrew back to them. There's even a Ben Yehuda street. It's like our third street. I've witnessed a lot of Jews on that street. And then he says uh, they'd become, the nations around them would become hostile. Hmm, has that happened? Like no other nation on earth. Nobody has this history. No nation has ceased to be a nation for almost 2,000 years to become a country again because people lose their identity over time. But God gave them laws like the sanitation laws and things I told you about uh, to make them distinct from other people, amen? And he preserved them from marrying all the different Gentiles and just mixing and being assimilated. And he brought them back. And then they'd be hated. And I've been telling you for years, the Jews are going to be hated. The Jews are going to be hated more and more. Did anybody imagine this happening in our country so quickly where you have Harvard University and, and Penn State and their leaders, presidents, step down because of allowing the hostility? They'd never allow this hostility toward the woke agenda, you know, but toward Jews they did, you know. And all this is prophesied in the Bible. And guess what? I can share over 100 prophecies that have been fulfilled just about the nation of Israel, guys. It's mind-blowing. God says he proves that he's the one true God because he tells the end from the beginning. I'm not going to spend any more time on Israel because we've had three or four messages and just a couple months ago, three, two, three months ago, since October 7th, about uh, Israel and prophecy and so forth. But that's a huge evidence as well. But it's interesting, uh, just Bible prophecy alone, just not even, even, just not even focus on Israel, just of, the, of world powers, right? God revealed through Jeremiah and the other prophets that, that Babylon would come into Israel. Uh, to, to Judah specifically, the southern kingdom, and that Judah would be sacked, and the implements of the temple would be uh, taken, and the temple would be destroyed. And Babylon did ju just that. And Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, talks about Babylon as its head of gold, but talks about another empire coming after Babylon, before it happened. 
okay? The Medo-Persian Empire. And it's, he uses the image of a, a huge bear, lopsided, because the Medes were smaller than the, the Persians, with three ribs in its mouth, and it would supplant the Babylonian Empire. And that's exactly what happened with the Medo-Persian Empire. Then he says after that, there would be another empire that would arise and supplant the Medo-Persian Empire, and that would be the Grecian Empire. He even tells us it would be Greece. Hundreds of years before it happened, the Grecian Empire would come, and it was depicted by a leopard, a leopard with four wings. A leopard's already fast. You give a leopard four wings, that's a scary creature, right? And, and, and uh, four heads as well. And what happened with the Grecian Empire? Like no other empire that was that small, with swiftness, like a leopard rapidly overtook the Medo-Persian Empire. Mind blow. It had four heads, right? And that, those four heads, guess what? Were the four generals after, uh, uh, our, uh, well, we're talking about Alexander the Great, right? This is Alexander the Great's empire, right? We're talking about, and this is a blow mind, uh, for his four generals, because he died in his early 30s. He just died young. And his four, his four generals cut up his land, which is basically, you know, the Middle East and Africa and parts of Asia. It's just, you had, uh, you had Lysimachus, you had Cassander, uh, you had Ptolemy, you had uh, Seleucus, four different generals, just huge swaths of land, whether it was Syria and, and uh, Babylonia or whether it was Egypt and <coughs> Israel or it was uh, parts of what are now Turkey, Asia Minor and so forth. Uh, these guys split up that land just like the prophet said. And then it says an empire would come after that, would be diverse from these other empires. There'd be none like it. It would just like, and that's where the Roman Empire came in, right? And just under, you know, Julius Caesar and just expanded. And all these empires had in common that they oppressed the nation of Israel. But this was all written before the, these empires rose, guys. In Jeremiah, then Daniel, before, uh, you know, Medo-Persian Empire and uh, the Grecian Empire and the Roman Empire, on and on. So Bible prophecy is just amazing uh, when you look at it. Uh, how about Jesus as the Messiah? Jesus as the Messiah. How can you prove? You can use this stuff when you're talking to a Jew. You can show them. Look, it says in Daniel chapter 9, that because a lot of Jews are like, when the Messiah comes, he's going to take over the world and make it all beautiful, and Israel's going to rule and so forth, and, and he's going to be a political leader. But they don't rec realize that a lot of Jews before Jesus came, talked about two messiahs because there's two different types of prophecies. There's prophecies about how he would be the conquering king, but there's other prophecies about how he, first he would be a suffering servant. And so they said, oh, maybe there's two messiahs. Messiah ben David, who will be a king like David, and Messiah ben Joseph, who will suffer like Joseph. They got the idea right as far as two types of, of one in power, one in suffering, but they didn't realize it's what? One Messiah doing both. He came first as Messiah ben Joseph, as a suffering servant. Because it said he'd be born in the Old Testament in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. During a Christmas message, I accidentally said Malachi. You know, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem, right? And that uh, it says he'd be rejected. You know, it says in the scriptures, what, uh, which of the prophets did you not persecute? Well, just like Moses was rejected at first, right? Elijah was rejected at first. Prophets were off. Isaiah, you know, Jeremiah, they're rejected at first. Jesus is ultimately rejected. But where we read in Daniel chapter 9 that he'd be cut off. We read in Isaiah 53 that he'd be despised by his own people. And we thought he was rejected by God, they say. And he would be cut off, it says, there too, from the land of the living. In Psalm 118, it says, 
the, speaks of the cornerstone, which was rejected. The, corner, the cornerstone, the main stone would be rejected, but then it was restored. And Jesus quotes that in chapter 21, verse 42 of the Gospel of Matthew, and also in the Gospel of Mark, that I, he talks about being the cornerstone that was rejected by men, but has become the chief cornerstone. That was right before his crucifixion. He talked like that. So you have all these prophecies about Jesus. And, you know, what blows me away is the prophecies that refer uh, to Jesus being not only rejected. Because this, what if a Jew says, well, how do I know he's the Messiah, though? You see, uh, uh, maybe he's going to come. Maybe there'll be a totally different Messiah, and it's not him. Because whoever the Messiah is, guess what, guys? The Bible says he already came, whoever he is. Do you know that? You take them to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and you simply read to them that God says he's allotted 70 years or 77s to, the, to his nation Israel but to when he fills everything up and everything's finished. Those 70 years are divided from 69 and the last seven, which is a tribulation period. The tribulation period, we, we call that a seven-year period. The great tribulation is the second part, three and a half years. I don't have time to get into all of that. But the first 69 years, which the Bible says are, 60, are seven years and 62, which is 69, those first 69 Shabuim, okay? And when I'm saying years, I should be saying Shabuim. Shabuah is a seven-year period. There's, 60, there's 70 sevens, okay? There's 69 sevens until the coming of Messiah. And we know we're given the date to, to, to uh, check this out. I did a whole message on this before, more than once, actually. But he says, Daniel is told by the angels, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, listen to this, from the key to rebuild Jerusalem, right, there will be 69 sevens. Then the Messiah will be cut off. Well, 69 times 7 is what? You know, 483. And then these would be solar years, 360-day years. That's what the Jews did their calendars with. So if you multiply 483, right, by 360, right, you, and you start from 444, listen to this, you start from 444 or 445 B.C. Because that's when Artaxerxes and Nehemiah the, even the secular encyclopedia is saying 444 or 445 B.C. Artaxerxes, after the Medo-Persians took over from the Babylonians, the Jews were in, 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 in Persia, King Artaxerxes gave the decree to let Nehemiah go back and rebuild Jerusalem. You count that down, 69 sevens, by the lunar calendar, it brings you to 33 A.D. Blow mind. Oh, and you know the other evidence on top of that? It says the Messiah, when he came, he'd be cut off in the Jewish Bible, Old Testament. He'd be killed. And then guess what? It says the temple, the sanctuary, would be what? Destroyed. That means the Messiah would have to come before the temple that was rebuilt would be what? Destroyed. Are you with me? Listen to what it says clearly in Daniel 9. Then after 62 weeks, after 62, that's the seven weeks and the 62, that's 69, the Messiah will be cut off, and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Jesus was crucified. It's estimated people estimate between 30 and 33 AD. I believe 33 personally. And then guess what? The, he said every stone before he was killed and crucified, every stone of the temple would be thrown down. What happened in 70 AD, just a few decades later? The Romans destroyed the temple. The Romans destroyed uh, the temple in 70 AD. And the rest is history. The Jews were exported all over the place. I'm looking at the clock. And my introductory message 
I wanted to share a lot of other things with you in regard to my introductory message, but that'll just have to be it. And what else? Because a lot of these other topics, I'm going to bring all these topics in more depth at certain times. Sometimes on a Wednesday night, sometimes on a Sunday morning uh, through the next year or two. So we're not just doing every message on evidence of the Bible for two months, three months straight. I did that before. I did a whole message on all these different reasons to trust the Bible. Many of those messages were in a row, but I want to break this one up. But you guys, we got an awesome God, amen? amen. And does he prove he exists? You have no reason to doubt the word of God, you know? You can use fa fancy words about trying to turn away from him, say, oh, I'm deconstructing. No, you're falling away. You're committing apostasy. You can use a fancy word, but you're falling away from the living God. You're going to be lost forever. Don't ever turn away from the one true God. There's so much evidence. I wish I could have went through all these different just plethora of things I wanted to talk about. But I think what I've shared with you is more than compelling. Amen? Amen. All right. Can we all please stand? We're going to pass out the cup and the bread. I want to encourage you also along these lines. If you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you're going to see the truth, I believe. Amen. Jesus says in John 7, 17, he that wills to do the will of the Father will know the truth, will know the doctrine about who he is. I love that. It's always been a comforting verse that no one's going to slip through God's fingers. Amen. If someone wills to do his will anywhere on the planet, they're going to come to know who Jesus is. Amen. We don't have to, we don't have to fret. But guess what? You have to make a choice. The Lord God says, I put life and death before you. Choose life that you may live. Amen. You have a choice. And when you see this evidence, it should compel you to turn to Christ. In the book of James, it says, to know what to do and not to do it is sin. Well, you know you should turn to Jesus because he's the only Savior. And, and by rejecting him, that's a form of rebellion right there. Because Jesus said, he that's not with me is what? Against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. And James also says, don't boast about tomorrow because your life is like a vapor. It's pures for a little while, a moment, then it's gone. Compared to eternity, your life is super short. I was watching my dolphins get spanked by the Chiefs. And, uh, you know, playing. I have a Hawaiian quarterback who's used to warm weather, never won a game other 40 degrees, playing like 20 something below with the wind chill. And the three, he's usually a really accurate passer. He's like, like. Okay, got to get a warm weather for this guy, you know. But as we're watching, a bunch of people came over my house I didn't even expect. It was a great time, just fellowshipping and stuff. And, uh, but the, the guys are breathing, and they just, when their vapor comes out, it's like so white, you know. And Jim Sanford's like, Joe, see that? I go, yeah. He goes, that's the length of our lifetime. I go, yeah, you're right, man. Amen, bro. We, we, our lives are like a vapor. Your lifetime is like a vapor. It's here, then gone. Make sure you use the time in your life right now because you're not promised tomorrow. Amen? You could die today. Make sure you get right with Jesus. Amen? Make sure you turn to him because all this evidence cries out that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. And he's coming back again. The greatest evidence I wanted to explain to you today, which I didn't have time, is the very resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. The apostles, you know, critical scholars... I'm in my grace period. i got to live 15, 11, 20 in my grace period. It's probably one minute into it, so I'm good. But I'm just going to say this, guys. Even the critical scholars, the Jesus scholars, that aren't Christians, they admit the tomb was empty when the apostles found it. They admit the preponderance of them, along with evangelical scholars, that the disciples all believed they, the apostles saw Jesus. And they all 
acknowledged that their lives were transformed and that they were sincere. Because nobody goes and if they knew something was a lie and they know it's a lie, goes and risks their lives over and over again. That's the argument Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15. If I have not seen the risen Christ, if Jesus is not risen, why am I risking my life every day? Why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? The apostles sealed their testimony, many of them, in their own blood. Amen? They went back to cities where they were flogged and whipped and beaten and warned that they could be put to death or further flogged if they went back, and they went right back in and preached the gospel. These were the ones that were scared and huddling before they saw the resurrected Christ. Amen? But he transformed their lives through the resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, one of the lines of evidence I was going to give is the power of the Holy Spirit, trans the transformed life of the Christian. No non-believer can tell me that that's not true. Because when I was a non-believer, man, I tried to quit smoking over and over again because I loved to play football, man. I just loved to just, you know, dodge people and run them over and catch passes and throw them and, and tackle and all those things. It was such a fun sport for me. And, but I'd smoke. So when I smoked, man, I'd be, <sighs> I smoked a lot. And I'd try to quit. And as soon as i get drunk again, which I got drunk a lot, I'd start smoking again. I had no power in myself to defeat sin. But when I came to the Lord Jesus Christ and, bowed my, and got on my knees, I got up by the grace of God. I, know, I didn't even have to say, I got to quit smoking. I got to quit getting drunk. I got to quit taking acid. I got to quit smoking pot. I just stopped it. I didn't think I got to stop being a thief and do whatever my friends are doing. I just stopped. I didn't think about it. I just stopped it. I didn't even cuss after that. That's my family members. I didn't think, I need to stop cussing. I just stopped. I'm not saying that that's going to happen to everybody all at once because there is the process of sanctification where it takes some time. There's other things that took some time, you know, because I was quick-witted, pretty quick-witted, so I was pretty quick on a joke sometimes, and guess what? Sometimes it get me in trouble even as a Christian, you know? I have to be careful. Make sure you don't say anything that hurts people's feelings and stuff, and God had to keep sanctifying me, and he still is doing that. But guess what? That never happened before I received Jesus and received the Holy Spirit in my life. And I got, when I met my wife, Lisa, she was an Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, okay? Um, any other ones, Lisa? She was in a lot of them, you know? And I told her, we got, I, and I met her actually in high school before that, but when I got to know her, we sat together because her brother asked me to help her and try to disciple her because she was confessing Christ. I told her, I go, Lisa, you just need a one-step program. You need Jesus, man. Just surrender to him. Amen. And we're sitting there, and right after that, not long after that, she goes, does God hear me when I smoke? I go, he hears you, but he wants you to quit. She's smoking two packs a day since she was like, how old, Lisa? How old? Are, how old? Since 13. She just threw them out the, she littered, but hey, she threw them out the window. And then she just stopped smoking right there. Totally transformed, man. The power. That's the power the world doesn't have. Oh, well, some of them quit smoking and some of them quit drinking and stuff like that. They can quit this or that or one thing. Or, but guess what? I'm talking about a total transformation of the heart. Where all of a sudden now you love your enemies. Amen. And you want to do good to those who are even persecuting you. Amen. What a transformation the Lord God brings. So the, I gave you another example, a couple th I threw in the resurrection real fast, and the transformed life. Amen? If you don't know Jesus, turn to him now. He'll transform your life. You'll want to be in the Bible. You'll want to be in church. You'll want to go to heaven. Father God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, that right now they would say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That they'd admit what their conscience, the conscience, their, their conscience that you gave them dictates that they've sinned, that they're guilty. And that they're going to face you in judgment. Father, may they face you in a good way. So that when you see them, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. May they turn from sin and embrace Jesus who died for them, paid for their sins, and rose again right now. Father, we thank you for the bread which represents your son's 
body which is given for us on the cross. He's the bread who's come down from heaven who came to save us. We partake of it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Father, <laughs> I didn't even have time to get in one whole line of evidence that's not used. Typology, all the types and pictures you give of, of Jesus, like the Passover lamb, perfect male without blemish, inspected for five days and then put in the form of a cross on their, the doorpost of the Jews so the de death angel would pass over their firstborn, Lord. We thank you that Jesus died on Passover day. And Paul said he is our Passover, crucified for us. And that he was the perfect male lamb who was inspected for five days when he came to Jerusalem as they tried to find fault in him, tried to trip him up. And then before Pilate, he said, I find no fault in him. We praise you for our perfect Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us, who partake of the cup with thanksgiving in Jesus' name.